Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to America's Best Baseball Podcast. We take you behind the scenes in and around Major League Baseball with former big league manager Kevin Kennedy and veteran baseball broadcaster Rich Herrera. This is the only weekly podcast hosted by someone like Kennedy who played, coached, and managed in pro ball. So we can take you into the manager's office for a real insider's view of baseball alongside a veteran baseball broadcaster like Herrera who has covered the game from coast to coast. So let's talk some baseball with your hosts. Here they are. The skipper, Kevin Kennedy, and Rich Herrera. Welcome, everybody, to America's Best Baseball Podcast. That's the skipper, Kevin Kennedy. I'm Rich Herrera. We take you behind the scenes in Major League Baseball. Skip, how are you? I'm doing good, Rich. I'm uh, really getting into this season, this baseball season, especially in the National League West. It's uh, It's been fun, but... Uh, I did a game last night with Rick Monday on radio, I'm, I'm, but I'm really glad that our podcast is uh, back. People have been asking a lot about it, and I know you've. Uh, I told them that you would be the the answer man into where people can find <laughs> it first of all, because I'm getting a lot of questions on that. Some people uh, haven't been able to find it. So, do you have some updates on that before we get going? Okay, so our podcast now will be part of uh, Radio.com, so you'll be able to get it on Radio.com. You'll be able to get it on Apple, Stitcher, TuneIn. What do you, what do you use to get podcasts? I, I have uh, an app that uh, a friend of mine that's really into this a couple of years ago said he he likes to use Podcast Attic that you just download on your phone, and you can get everything. Now, I haven't tried our own podcast, the one we did a couple of weeks ago yet, but uh, do you think that that app will work for most people if I can just tell them that? Yes. Podcast. Yeah, so the RSS feed is now ready to have it delivered if you subscribe. Again, via, like like Kevin does, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Radio.com. It'll, you can subscribe to it. It'll get delivered right to your smartphone or computer. Those are the ways that you'll find us. So we have a bigger platform now, uh, especially because of Radio.com. They'll be featured with a lot of different radio stations uh, that you find on, on, that, on that app, Radio.com, and that website. You could also find a lot of podcasts from a bunch of different stations around the country, including and that And that particular uh, app just happens to be one that my friend told me about, that he's really into the uh, this stuff. He works for a radio station himself, and he said that app usually picks up just about everything. It's a free app. on. Uh, I have a Droid phone, so I think it's also on iPhone. Uh, you, you know, yeah. you can get it just about I'm anywhere. An Apple guy. I'm an Apple guy, so I use the Apple Podcast, and they use that Radio.com app as well. So that's where you'll start finding us. And now we're going to get going. So we'll have a, a show to show that we're recording right now. Uh, then we're going to shoot for Tuesdays and Thursdays, depending on uh, Kevin's travel schedule and my schedule. But we're back into this again, and we renamed the podcast America's Best Baseball Podcast. And Skip, I know it's a little aggressive, but you know what? This is this is America's Best Baseball Podcast. We take you inside like nobody else. We could take you inside the manager's office. Andy Green got run last night and had the last word with um, with Joe West. We could tell you about that. We could take you inside the front office. We could take you on the field. We could take you 
with a dugout. We can take you everywhere. So that's why we give you a little bit of a different perspective. With Kevin all his years in baseball, mine all my years covering it, it really is America's Best Baseball Podcast. So let's get to it, Let's Skip. do it. You mentioned, the, you mentioned the National League West. I was on CBS Sports last night, and, and I told them I wanted to bring this up on our podcast today, that I still don't know anything about any of these division races because it seems like so many divisions are so unfocused. And I know that there's teams right now, there's general managers. The old rule was around Memorial Day, you kind of know what you have in your ball club. If I'm sitting in the general manager suite, there's a lot of teams, the Dodgers, the Diamondbacks, the Rockies, the Giants, the Padres out in the West, and a lot of other divisions. I'm not really sure what I have right now. I think the first thing that has hit me this year is the amount of injuries um, for a lot of teams, not just teams that you and I are closer to, but I mean around Major League Baseball. But look at the National League West, uh, not just the Dodgers. Uh, the Giants have had a ton of injuries. Uh, Longoria just got hit in a, uh, two days ago in the finger. He broke his finger after Bumgarner just gets back for two starts, and he's going to start tonight. The D-backs had missed Lamb uh, for the better part of the season. He gets back, and then somebody else goes down, and it's just on and on and on. I'm just naming a couple of guys. There's been pitchers that have gone down. Uh, Dodgers pitching staff has been decimated, but then you could see the Giants had lost Bumgarner and Johnny Cueto. Uh, then you look around uh, in, in Colorado, the same thing. They've had their share, fair share of injuries. LeMay, who was gone for quite a while, so I think that's part of the reason that the West is kind of leveled out. Nobody has been healthy enough to make that run and really open up this division. Plus, I think that this West, and you and I talked about this before the season started this year, Rich, the West is a more balanced division than it was last year. You know, they, two teams came out of the West for the wild card last year, so there were three playoff teams. And I think uh, those three teams are going to be back and are in contention right now. But the sleeper for me has been really what San Diego's doing and and what the Giants have been able to do. They're a much better team as well. So that's why you see all five teams in the West of the National League um, just within, you know, five, six games of each other. So you look at the, the East, the Atlanta Braves sitting on top. The baby Braves doing great. Washington is lurking one and a half behind. I think Washington will get better. I think Davey Martinez is getting more settled in running that ball club. Uh, Philadelphia with Kate Kaplan. They're just four games back. Four games back. Who would have thought of the Phillies? The Mets are probably not going to make a run at it. Uh, you look at the Central. Milwaukee is a game and a half up on the Cubs. Uh, Cubs are certainly playing uh, better baseball. St. Louis is kind of mandering around five games above 500. You look at the American League East, the Yankees and the Red Sox are the class of that division. Everybody else is chasing them. That's kind of in focus. Cleveland, three and a half better than Detroit. Minnesota, five back. That's going to get a little bit more clear. And then this crazy uh, American League West, you mentioned all the injuries, the Halos. 15 players on the disabled list right now. Houston sits atop. Seattle, who would have thunk it that they're going to be five uh, half a game back? Uh, the, the Angels, despite having 15 players in the D, on the DL, are only seven and a half back. I mean, this is a crazy division. It is, and it's good for Major League Baseball if you're a fan because your team, uh, most of the teams, have a chance uh, to get at least a wild card or in the race for a wild card come late August or in September, so nobody's really totally out of it. I mean, there's a couple of teams that I've seen that are definitely um, not having their best years. We uh, just saw Texas, and a lot of people agree that saw Texas over the uh, 
two-day two interleague play this week that they are the worst team that at least the Dodgers have faced. Oh, by the way, I wanted to ask you about that fight with Kevin. Yeah, well, I, here's a case where guys did both guys didn't know the rule. And and maybe we should re-explain the rule, Rich, as far as blocking home plate. Can you block home plate? When can you block home plate? you got to give the runner a lane, etc. Uh, what happened in this particular game, there was a play at home plate. Uh, the ball had beat Kemp by plenty from the outfield. Chirinos, the catcher for Texas, um, the ball took him into the lane that he was giving Matt Kemp, so the lane was taken away. So Matt Kemp went ahead and went right through Chirinos, and Chirinos wasn't expecting it. In other words, he hit him and knocked him down, and Chirinos wasn't expecting it. But the, and the bottom line is there was a little pushing and shoving, and one, both guys got a one-game suspension. I understand Chirinos uh, took his suspension last night. Matt Kemp uh, decided to fight it because he said he was pushed first by Chirinos, and he did nothing wrong, even though he didn't actually know the rule, what the rule was, if he could hit him or not. But there was no place for him to go to score. And so he just right, ran right through Chirinos like he used to do, you know, four or five years ago when uh, you when the catchers, uh, we didn't have this uh, no blocking the plate rule. The Buster Posey the rule. The Buster Posey rule, exactly. So that's what happened there. And it's something, and I've always felt this about players in the minor leagues being a, being a director uh, with Montreal. Former farm director for the Expos. Yeah, and even before that with the L.A. Dodgers in, this, in the minor league system when I, fought, when I got up to AAA and, you know, it was one of the – more veteran guys in the minor league system and player development at that time. We always had meetings in spring training about the rule book, about going over the rules with players, because I, I had a player in the lower levels that actually did not know that uh, on a ball, um, on a foul, on a play that was, uh, he went first to third on a play and, and the ball had to go back to first base. And instead of retouching the catch was made in the outfield. He had, right, and you got to touch. He had up. already rounded second base, was halfway to third. Once the catch was made, he didn't know the rule that you had to go back and retouch second base before you returned to first base. He didn't just run from third back to first. Oh, he, oh bag, yes, did he? he did. <laughs> oh, yes, he no. did. In the minor leagues, yes, it's a true story. Uh, that's when I really knew way back, uh, way back then that uh, you know what you can take nothing for granted just because a kid comes out of high school or a good college program doesn't mean he knows all the rules because maybe that play never happened to him anywhere. But that's the truth of it, Rich. So that's when I knew, you know what? And I always carried a rule book in my back pocket in the big leagues, by the way, managing. And just, just in case. I read the rule book every day myself because there, there were some um, gray areas in the rule book, as you know. And, and the rule book changes every year. The rule, there's rules every year that are added and modified. And so you have to stay up on it, definitely if you're a manager. But also the players need to know that as well. If you're new to our podcast, I am the umpire apologist. <laughs> well, you went to umpire school. I mean, I I'm wearing my umpire school uh, t-shirt today. Well, there you go. And and, and there's there's the rule book. They also have a manual. If, again, if you're new to the podcast, uh, there's a manual that they have that actually interprets the rule book for you. So Kevin reads it all day long, but the umpires actually have a yeah. rule book that explains the rule book that's not available to the general public. And the thing is, they've explained to me, it's not it, the, the rule book is not meant to be read cover to cover. You read it in pieces and dribs and drabs. It is very difficult to figure out. And I love the interpretation book. I have that book as well. Um, and I remember many, many years ago, uh, there was one of the umpires in AAA 
when I was uh, managing in AAA, this is 89, 90, 91, those years, he said, hey, I can get you the main umpire interpretation book. It's a volume coming out of Chicago. And I said, I would love to have that. He says, and this umpire was nice to me. He said, you're going to manage in the big leagues. He said, you should have this book, the interpretation book, not just the thin, you know, paperback rule book. So, and there's, there's another interpretation book you're talking about that's not, not that thick, but it's very detailed as, as far as interpreting the rules and how they came about, etc. This book that he's talking about that he got for me came out of a, a company, a publisher in Chicago. Rich, it was like uh, the old encyclopedias that we used to have <laughs> as kids. I mean, it was huge. And you could not read that in a week. I mean, it would take you a, a year to read that thing and really get through it. But what it did do... If you had questions after a game in your own mind, if you had an argument with an umpire, let's say, is that you might go back and read it. Even some umpires would say, hey, go back and look at the interpretation book if you have it and check out, you know, why the rule is the way it is. Oh, okay, then I have to ask, did you ever argue with an umpire and he says, hey, get out of here, go read the rule book. You go read the rule book and find out that you were wrong and go, sorry. I, I was wrong. You were right the next day. Uh, no, no, because I, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't go out there unless I knew I knew knew what I was talking okay. about. Because other, other... Now, did you ever an umpire tell you the next day that hey, Kevin, I I blew it? Well, I had umpires actually. Yeah, umpires missed the rules too because a lot of these guys are young. They're coming, even though they you know umpired the minor leagues and they're coming up through the ranks like like we all did. Um, even in the big leagues, I've, I've had umpires that have missed plays. You've seen it over the years, umpires that have missed plays in the big leagues. So, and you know this from right. working with umpires. Don Dingager in you uh, bet, absolutely. Don Dingager in the World Series. He's he's known for that more than anything else. Uh, the the first the uh, the game for the Colorado Rockies. Uh, there was a perfect game that uh, that was blown with the umpires' bad call. Yeah, we know. Well, all now about those are those. now those are judgment calls, but the actual rule. Oh, rule. Oh, rules interpretation. The actual rule well, I, interpretation. I, I, there are some umpires in AAA, I know, in the big leagues that have actually misinterpreted the rule. And and that's where you can appeal. appeal. You yeah. can't appeal judgment plays, but if he misinterprets the rule, you might be able to get a do-over uh, on that well, appeal. Uh, exactly. The game, the, uh, the game uh, with the Padres and the Braves uh, this week, Andy Green, <laughs> on Thursday – there was a hit-by-pitch, non-hit-by-pitch that, that he wasn't happy with, and then there was a ball in the dirt, and Joe West uh, raises his hand with two strikes and makes that third strike call, but the ball was in the dirt. Catcher didn't pick it up and try to tag the runner. Uh, runner didn't try to advance. They all just kind of stood there, so the catcher didn't do what he needed to do. A runner didn't try to advance, which he was supposed to do, and the umpire makes the wrong call because he raises his hand even though it's a ball in the dirt, so you're not going to call that a third strike, and then not then you got to point out it's a ball in the dirt so everybody knows what's going on. And he was late with his with his mechanics calling. He didn't call it right away. He did it kind right. of haphazardly, right. so nobody exactly knew what to do. Nobody reacted. So Green comes out, hollers at him, and then he goes back and he says one more time, and he brings up the call that he thought was blown the night before, and West goes, get out of here. And as, as Andy Green walks off, the, the TV cameras picked it up and said, hey, Joe, I'm leaving. You can go ahead and blow another call. I saw that. Yeah, that, that was funny. And, and actually, when Andy brought up another call that he missed the day before or the week before, that's a no-no. That's how I got kicked out in the big leagues. I only got kicked out once, and that's that's what got me kicked out. There was an umpire named Rocky Rowe in the American League mm-hmm. uh, back in the 90s that uh, that it was a good guy, but he had been in the same crew the week before where we lost on a bad home, foul ball home run 
by a kid named Mark Lewis. And it cost us the game. I remember Mark Lewis. Yeah, yeah. it cost us the game against the Indians. And, and of course, in today's game, you can uh, replay, you know, boundary calls and replay foul balls like that. And it hooked around the foul pole or inside the foul pole to the fat to the foul side. And nobody, nobody overruled it. Tim McClellan was a crew chief and he didn't overrule it. I said, you had to have seen that. Anyway, long story short, uh, he missed the call. We lost the game. The next week we're uh, against the Angels and there was a butt play at uh, runner at a second base. And the Angels batter was a, a hitter named Damian Easley, you might remember. Uh, he bunted through the ball, and Pudge Rodriguez, the, the now Hall of Famer, picked off the runner at second base, and the, the guy that bunted, that would have been strike three because it was his third strike. And Rocky Rowe said, no, that was a ball. And I said, he bunted right through it. Why do you think the runner at second base was halfway to third? He, he, you know, he thought he, he saw the, uh, the swing of the bunt, uh, the push of the bunt. And anyway, I, I wasn't going to get kicked out until it, the argument went long enough. And I said, well, Rocky, <laughs> you missed that one tonight and you missed that call last week, too, on the home run. Boom. boom I got it. I got kicked. <laughs> so uh, what Andy Green did is a no-no. And he, he, you know, I'm sure he knows that. Uh, I don't know how much he's managing the minor leagues, but I know he's managed some. Oh, yeah. No, he knew. Yeah, you that, know. That, that you know, that you, know you cannot bring up yesterday's uh, mistakes. That's for sure. That's uh, in Major League Baseball. That's or any any part of baseball. That's that will get get you kicked out in pro ball. So, hey, by the way, uh, Giants Dodgers this weekend at Dodger Stadium. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking I might try to go out one of the games this weekend. Um, Pudge Rodriguez is son. Yeah, Derek. In the big yeah. leagues. Yeah, I saw it. I saw his last did, start. Did, did you did you know him when he was a little kid? I mean, does this listen? I'm starting. I'm starting to feel yes. Age. Would you see how yes. you see guys that 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 you collected their baseball cards and now their kids are the big? I leagues? did know him. I'll tell you a quick story. When I first got the job in Texas, uh, Pudge was going into his uh, second year in the big leagues. He played a little bit the first year with Bobby Valentine, and he was 19 years of age. He was going to be 20 at, when I had him, and Derek was I think one year old, a one-year-old at that time. I flew to Puerto Rico uh, with Omar Minai and Sandy Johnson, who were part of the Texas Rangers at that time, scouting department. We flew to Puerto Rico to meet Pudge and his family uh, at their home. That was part of the agreement. When I got the job and did part of the interview process, George Bush asked me, uh, the former president said, uh, well, hey, these guys are, you know, we got a lot of star players, et cetera. Nobody really knows you. You weren't a star big league player. You know you have a great minor league managerial career, but uh, how are you going to get to know these guys? They don't even know who you are if I hire you. I said, I want to fly to their homes at Pudge Rodriguez, Juan Gonzalez. I want to meet Nolan Ryan one-on-one and have uh, lunch or dinner here in Texas, et cetera. I want to meet Conseco at his home in Coral Gables, Florida, et cetera. Anyway, that was one of my trips, and I went over to Puerto Rico to meet Juan on one day and have dinner with him and uh, Pudge the next day. And I met uh, Pudge, and he's now, I believe he's remarried. But uh, I remember meeting his family at that time, and uh, Derek was uh, was a one-year-old. So, yes, I do remember. <laughs> that was, I don't even want to say the year, but. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, it, now it, pitching it, for your San Francisco it, Giants, yeah. the son of one of your yeah, players. Yeah, and it was interesting because two days ago they had a 16-inning game, and he pitched great. And Pudge was in the stands, and he stayed in the stands for the whole 16 innings. The Giants eventually won that game. But wow. uh, the kid doesn't throw hard. Now, Pudge, if Pudge was a pitcher, 
he would have thrown 98 miles an hour. But oh, he had gas. He was unbelievable. He had the best catching arm other than Johnny Bench that I've ever seen. Now, Johnny Bench, you know, I didn't see up close and right, you know, have him as a player, obviously, because I was a high school kid when he was in the big leagues. But I saw him take infield when we used to take infield back in those days. And he had a cannon, but I'd never seen as good an arm in the big leagues um, up close and personal as I have Pudge Rodriguez. Sandy Alomar Jr. had a great arm. He was close, but nobody, and even in today's game, all the players playing today, there's some good catchers with some good arms. Nobody's, to me, um, as good as um, as Pudge Rodriguez. I know Gabe Kapler had mentioned his catcher, Alfaro, who I saw recently. He's got a very good arm. I don't think he's as quick uh, nor is as, as powerful as Pudge Rodriguez. Pudge had an arm. Like I said, if he was a pitcher, he would have thrown 98 miles an hour. So it's interesting to see his son um, not have a fastball that really gets above 90, Rich. I don't know if you've seen him pitch or not, but he's showing 88, 89. He's got a little slider. Right. He changes speeds. Looks like very deceptive. Very deceptive. He had a bad outing against the Nationals, but to his credit, he, I saw he that. came back against the, the Marlins on the same trip just two days ago and he went you know fairly deep into the game into the seventh inning he had a three to one lead and then it became three to two and then uh, finally Bruce Bochy took him out and the bullpen kept the game there until the ninth when panic made an error dropped a pop-up and McCutcheon was calling him off and it was a big mistake and anyway the Marlins tied that game and then after that the game went seven more innings and so Pudge's son um, that did not get the win. He, he would have had the win, and and Pudge, I'm sure, was upset watching him. But he, I'm sure he felt good knowing that his son pitched very well. But isn't that interesting how we're seeing so many sons of, of big league players today in today's game? It's just unbelievable. And, you know, his kid was around the ballpark. Let's face it. I was only with Texas right. a couple of years, so he wasn't able to walk yet. But when I was with Boston, now the kid was, you know, four years old and I would always ask Pudge, how's his son doing? You got the shin guards on him yet? And uh, <laughs> Pudge thought he was going to be a catcher at first, but then decided, no, he wants to pitch. So uh, his goal uh, and his dream has has come true. So good for him. Okay, two two things popped in my head. Was he Pudge that young? when you got Because you got him his first full year of the big leagues. Were they already calling him oh, Pudge? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he was okay. called Pudge because um, he was a little bit – chunky as a minor league player <laughs> that's the true story and so right, when right. i got him i mean he was he was stocky strong but he wasn't fat by any means at all and i was a little right. surprised that was a nickname for him but i remember asking sandy johnson i never asked pudge about it but i asked sandy johnson he goes well he was a little when we first signed him because sandy signed him <laughs> sandy and omar Minaya, very close to pudge and juan gonzalez and sandy was one of the greatest scouts there ever was Oh, yeah, I'm a big fan yeah, of this. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to talk to Sandy here on Monday, by the way. I just talked to R Tracy Rigglesby recently, got his number again, and uh, oh, Sandy's good. looking forward to a phone call. He's retired, living in Baltimore now. But Sandy ran the uh, the scouting department for the Padres. He drafted uh, guys like Robbie and Sandy Alomar. He was very influential in getting a lot of the uh, Latin players over, over to uh, the organizations that he was involved in, Texas, Arizona. He was a scouting director in, um, in San Diego, and then he worked with Omar when Omar became the uh, general manager of the Mets. He, he's, he worked with the Mets as an assistant by that time and then later, of course, retired. But he signed some tremendous ballplayers and, and a few Hall of Famers, by the way. So, yeah. Did he spend time in Oakland as well? No, I don't believe so. No. Mm. I just remember him in San Diego at first, 
right. he, as a player, he played with the Pirates. He was he was a shortstop that was behind a, a shortstop named Gene Alley. He was a, a starting shortstop in the days of Roberto Clemente, etc. Uh, so he never really made it as a player, but always got into the front office in the scouting department right away. Always evaluated players extremely well. I mean, he was involved in, uh, in getting Kevin Brown drafted, and uh, he was really, really a strong uh, scout, especially on the offensive side. Texas in those days didn't have too many pitchers coming up to the system, but they were very strong as far as every- you had some. You had some guys that could powerful hit. hitters, absolutely. Dean yeah. Palmer. I mean, he was involved in all those guys that they had. So, um, and that I ended up being able to manage. But uh, yeah, Pudge was not pudgy at age nineteen. So I guess okay, I guess so when he was fourteen a- or fifteen, he was a little bit. A little bit thick for some reason. Okay, so here's my second question. Pudge could make that no-look throw like nobody else, right? I mean, that's one of the reasons he's in the Hall of Fame and he had that cannon. When you were managing and you had guys that would try to pull that Pudge and and you had the guy who could do it as good as anybody else, that no-look where he's staring straight at the pitcher and just throwing behind that runner, picking somebody off, pros and cons of having somebody be that aggressive when you have an arm behind the plate. Uh, I loved it. I, I actually used to play the first baseman behind uh, behind the, you know, when, when a runner got on behind him, I would have Rafi Palmero play right behind the runner. I never held runners on with Pudge because I wanted them to go. And one day Pudge asked me, he said, hey, Skip, he said, the, you're getting a better jump, you know, when you play behind him. I said, yeah, but with left-handed hitters up there, we're taking away the whole Pudge. And I said that we got a chance to get a 3-6-3 double play rather than a base hit where they go first to third. Or really, with Pudge's, uh, you know, Pudge behind the plate. Also, the other thing was that Rafi would sneak behind the the runner, and Pudge was so quick—not just just with a no look throw, but he would actually he had the quickest feet I've ever seen. He actually would, even with a left-handed batter, he would have the—he would just get his feet into position as the ball was crossing the plate. He'd already be squared up toward first base, and he would throw a bullet right on the bag, and he would pick off many, many runners. So they couldn't get a big secondary lead with Pudge either. Because of that, and that, so many times on base hits to right field, much like what's going on today with the Riasio Puig, runners wouldn't challenge him. I mean, they no. they wouldn't challenge um, because they couldn't get a big lead with with Pudge. So their secondary leads weren't very big. If you try to get a secondary lead with Pudge behind the plate, he'd pick you off if the if the, it wasn't hit to the outfield. But even when it was hit to the outfield, because they couldn't get a big secondary lead, the right fielder had a chance to throw the runner out at third base. So runners rarely went to third base because of that. And I had to explain all that to Pudge because he just thought like baseball, traditional baseball runner, runner right. first base, you hold a guy on. I said, no, you're an exception. And uh, yeah, when you got special players, yeah. um, skip, I'm going to move on to something. Right. Yankees, Red Sox. So this is one of the things that I talked about again at CBS last yeah. night. Who's buyers who, who desperately needs to move more the Yankees or the Red Sox right now. Yankees, Obviously, they need some pitching. There were some talks about DeGrom and some of the New York Mets since they've fallen out. What do the Yankees need to do? And I, I told him last night, I'm very weary of Yankee prospects because I, for the life of me, cannot remember a big-time Yankee prospect that got moved at the trade deadline that ever did anything else after all the hype that's built up around that farm system. Swung on, there it goes. Deep left field, that ball is high. It is far. It is gone. It's a three-run home run to give the Yankees a lead. It's Glaber Day. And like a good Glaber, Torres is there. He hits a mighty three-run home run in the left field seats. 
Yeah, I think it's really about your evaluators. I mean, they've got Tim Naring, who's uh, really running that, that system now. Timmy was a guy that played for me in Boston. He had the farm director job in Cincinnati. He's, a, he's been a scout that I used to run into uh, all over the place on Major League ballparks before he got the job with the Yankees as a, a top-flight uh, right-hand man of Brian Cashman. And uh, when he evaluates a minor league guy, I, I trust Tim's judgment. So if they believe in one of their own prospects that can do the job, both visit. Well, it's 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 not so much for Nearing, but it's the media builds up all of these Yankee well, superstars. And then Brian says, well, this guy's untouchable. And they become the, the next Mickey Mantle. Well, and then I see these guys get dealt. I never see anybody show up anywhere That's else. intentional. The organizations do that. The Dodgers used to do that in my day. They would build up the third fourth, fifth best prospect and not trade John Wetland or Ramon Martinez uh, or Pedro Martinez until I was able to get him over to Montreal when I was there. <laughs> you picked their pocket. Because I picked their pocket. You're darn right. And uh, actually, there's a Montreal documentary going on. I did an hour documentary with uh, with uh, Sirius XM not too long ago. And there's a big documentary they're doing on can Montreal get baseball back and the demise of the Expos and why did that happen? And I was there in 92, and, and they actually wanted to know how I got so many Dodgers over there between Pudge Rodriguez and John Wetland and Darren Fletcher and later Henry Rodriguez, the left-handed hitter with power. and uh, The old Henry bars were being thrown down in Montreal. Right. I remember that. So I got a lot of guys over there because all those guys played for me, and I, I gave all those scouting reports to Dan Duquette. And even after I was gone to Texas, he was, uh, he was still able to get – guys that, that played for me because he had uh, great great evaluation not just my own but others as well but anyway um we used to do that intentionally uh because we wanted to build these guys up and then you know the media would build it up for us and and other organizations would buy into it and say well the dodgers you know in those days you know they were winning and always in contention and like they are now there was a lull there for a while but now with the ownership they're they're back in contention every year and went in the West the last four or five years, et cetera. But we, that was by intent. And the Yankees did the same thing. They did the same thing with Robbie Cano and Deanna Navarro. I'll never forget. Yeah. And remember Bobby. when they were first coming up? And Navarro was supposed to be the second coming of Pudge Rodriguez. And Cano was built up to be actually what Cano became. But So they were right on one of the two. But those two guys were completely untouchable. Well, you saw who they ended up moving and who they didn't. They knew exactly what they had in Robbie Cano, and they knew exactly what Navarro was going to be. Navarro had a long big league career, but never came close to what he was projected to be by the Yankees. But that was a sale in, by intent. And so when you see that out there on the market and you're trading, making a trade in July 30, by July 31st, you keep hearing those names. And even though you have your own scouts on these guys, unless you're with a guy every day, Rich, and watching him every day, which is why I've always believed you just mentioned the Phillies, how they're much better this year in the Braves, and they are. But I just saw both of those clubs recently, and I said, you know what? I thought they were better from afar than what they were because they're very beatable clubs. And the Phillies actually came back down to earth after they, they split a four-game series in L.A. And I, I said afterwards, and it wasn't a knock on Gabe or anybody else. I just said, wow, they strike out a lot. They don't play great defense. Uh, they got some pretty good starters. Uh, they got a couple of good arms in their bullpen. But they're a year or two away still. I, th I thought they were really on pace to actually win this division over the Nationals. But after seeing all of the East clubs, 
I said, no, the, the Phillies aren't ready yet. And sure enough, they went back. And now they're three three games over, 500 as we speak. And they're a good – That's great because that wasn't what we were expecting. And they're a good club. But no, but I was expecting after watching him on TV a few times. No, no, I mean in the pre uh, in spring training, nobody was expecting that. Yes, out of them. Preseason, yes, nobody was expecting that. But after watching them a few games on TV, I'm thinking, uh oh, this is going to be. You know what? They're going to come into LA and beat the Dodgers three out of four. But when I saw their lineup and the way and Hoskins, I don't know what happened to Hoskins, and I'm not talking about the injury that happened at, by the way at Dodger Stadium to his his uh, broken jaw. He had a foul ball into his own jaw. Uh, I'm not talking about that. He's just changed his swing. He's not the same guy that he was last year. I thought this guy would come out and be 35 home runs, 100 RBIs, hit 320 this year. And he went he went south a little bit. And the reason he went south, it's a little bit like Bellinger, is that the league has figured him out. That's why. Now he's got to figure – now he's just got to make that – He's got to make this second yeah. adjustment. He's yeah. got to make so, the second so adjustment. So anyway, right. I'm not knocking those teams, the Braves or the Phillies. I'm just saying – when you see a team in person for four straight days or you see them every day and you evaluate players a lot in person, then you really get a better read on what you're acquiring in a trade, for example, or, or, or what that team really is as a ball club as compared to the rest of the division. And so when I look at it and see Daniel Murphy now back for Washington, and obviously we know Strasburg's on the DL again, it's still a winnable division for those two teams. But even the Braves have admitted as of today – they're going to have to revamp their bullpen because they got a lot of arms down there, big arms like Sam Freeman and guys like that, but they have no command. And they're having, they're having, right. they're losing a lot of games. And that's, and that's why they're bullpen they're guys. Lo- that's why they're not And they're starters. losing a lot of games from a sixth inning on, which is what happened to them uh, against the Dodgers. So anyway, point being, you've got to see guys in person. That's why when you go scout the Yankees or you're scouting right now, as you said, Richard, you're trying to make a trade to get a big starter Let's say it's Jacob DeGrom. Let's say it's somebody like that. You want to get a guy like that added to your rotation and in, in for the stretch run because the Yankees are going to win 100 games. I'm convinced of it, and I think the Red Sox are too, no matter if they do anything or not. But will that one extra starter, just like Houston last year, going out and getting Verlander, will that push them over the top? That's what you're talking about with the Yankees, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, By the so way, you, yeah. you over-evaluate your own prospects. You hope one organization like the Mets will bite on that and say, you know, heard enough about him. We haven't seen him as much, but we've heard so much about him around baseball. Okay, we'll do that deal. And then the guy doesn't pan out to be what he's supposed to be. So, bingo. Uh, don't, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too much, but what did you say? Did you say that baseball could live in Montreal? Live where? In Montreal? Yeah. I was yes, trying to be I French. Did. Montreal. Yes, yes, I did. Yes, I absolutely okay. did. I, uh, I'll say it real quick. Um, they had great scouting back then. They had great evaluators. And I'm not talking about myself even before I got there. When I got there, I, I certainly feel like I helped when I when he traded for Pedro Martinez and John Wetland, who was a closer in the 90s. But um, that was a credit also to the front office people that, that hired people that knew, you know, players. So they had good people in their organization that evaluated. They were very good evaluators. And Montreal will draw if, if you win and it's just like anybody else. And I remember in 92 rich on the West coast trip, we went, I think nine and three, something like that. That was always the demise of the expos. I was told by Tim Wallach. If you had a bad West coast trip before the all-star break, fans won't come out. If you do, then they know you're for real. And because the giants and the Dodgers were always good, San Diego, I'm not knocking San Diego, but it was more about the giants and the Dodgers. If you can go out there in the West coast 
and play them well, then they, the fans in Montreal always believed that the club was for real. And we did. So we went out. It's a great baseball town. It's a great baseball. It's a great sports town. It's a great city. Great people there. A beautiful city. A historic city. So I, when we went out there, I think we were nine and three on this trip. We came back. And so I was told by the guys that had played there a long time, said, watch, watch after the break now. When you come back after your three days off, watch, watch how many people we'll have. We were averaging 35,000 a night after that. Before that, it was maybe in the 20s. You know, uh, like it was in Tampa Bay. But after that, we were we were selling out because people bought into it. So in 92, 93, of course, I was gone to Texas by then. But by 94, I was still following the club very closely because of the relationships I had there. They had the best record in baseball when the strike hit them. The strike killed Montreal and they could never keep their free agents because of that. And there was also the, the, the difference between monies. That the American dollar versus the Canadian dollar, I think, played into that. And again, we've I've told this story, and I'll tell it in a future podcast. I tried to buy a team to move to Montreal at one point, a minor league team. I think they're ripe to be the next major league baseball city. I hope so. I hope so. And that's what I. That's at the end of uh, my portion of the documentary that's coming out. Um, that's what I was asked, and uh, the interviewer is going to ask that. Van Duquette's going to do his uh, interview, I think, next Tuesday. Uh, I know they already talked to Buck Rogers before me, and Buck had his set. Buck, Buck managed there, what, seven, eight, eight right. years. So they talked to people that were around the organization a lot, especially around when they started getting really good in, in the 90s. And so in 94, I think they would have gone to the World Series. I do believe they would have beaten the Braves. They had they had Dennis Martinez as one of their starters. They had Kenny Hill. They had they had three aces in their rotation. Mark Gardner was there. Wetland was the best closer at that time in baseball. Uh, the right. lineup had Larry Walker, who had already come into his own. Um, Moises Alou had come into his own. They had uh, DeShields. Well, they had Pedro Martinez, by the way, as their number one. <laughs> Delightful, the lovely Delino DeShields. Yeah, and that trade for Delino with the Dodgers that I was involved in. And so Pedro was the number one starter, but you had Dennis Martinez, and then you had uh, Kenny Hill. So you had three number ones, really. Spike Owens was on Spike, that team. Spike was he? phenomenal. Shortstop played great. Hit the ball well then. Um, Tim Wallach was still there. He just he wasn't swinging a bat very well. He he really. Do you have Gil Heredia there? Gil Heredia was Heredia, around for Heredia a while. was there. Mel Rojas. If people forget that name, but he, Kirk Reeder he was, was on that team. was setting up. Kirk Reeder pitched great. He was there. Chris Nabholz, the lefty, was there. Um, I mean, we had. They had. I say we. They had everything. I mean, they had depth. They had speed. Remember, Marquise Grissom was stealing, leading off, hitting, hitting oh, yeah. 20 home runs, hitting 290, and stealing 75 bases then. I mean, a year. That's what he averaged. So they beat you with speed. They beat you with defense. They beat you with offense. And they beat you with starting pitching. They beat you with bullpen. I think they would have beaten the Braves and won that division that year. And I think they would have gone to the World Series. The strike, when it hit in August, August the 11th, that was the end of baseball in Montreal. I hope it comes back. And bottom line is – I. I, uh, that's, that's what the documentary is about. Can baseball survive there? And I said, absolutely. And that was with a stadium that was run down. It, well, and that, did you play at exposition stadium? Yes. Uh, Olymp okay. Olympic stadium. Absolutely. Olympic stadium. Cause well, there was exhibition. No, not exhibition. Which, we were in Olympic stadium. Which was a, which was a temporary stadium built on top of tennis. Yeah, parks. no, we were in Olympic stadium where they had, but that was so far away. What? From downtown where the, where the people what, were. Olympic stadium. Yeah. No, the Metro went right to it. it took right. No, 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 no. But I'm saying just, just 
uh, walking traffic of people out there. So when I was putting together my plan and I was doing my research, you because the Toronto Argonauts, Toronto Argonauts, no, uh, Montreal Alouettes. Yeah, right. Played at the same stadium. The Alouettes struggled attendance-wise after the Expos had left. Then they moved down. I think they play at McGill University, which is in the middle of downtown, and it's right there. It's in walking distance. And they just went crazy, and they said the biggest thing was, depending on where you put that stadium, if you follow the model that the CFL did, you put a baseball stadium down there within the walking distance right in the side of the big mountain that it's named after, it's going to do well. That's what our that's what yeah, our that, um, I, people that we work with. I didn't with. think that was the issue then at that time. It was more about the stadium had leaks in the roof. It had that that, that right. uh, plastic roof on it because the metro there. Honestly, I live right downtown. I live right across the street from where the Montreal Canadiens used to play, and I live I live yeah. in the same complex with uh, Dave Van Horn, the Hall of Fame broadcaster with the Marlins. Uh, uh, Moise right. Salou, several several players lived there, and we would get on the Metro. We were at the ballpark in ten minutes. The fan that, by the way, and I said this in the documentary yesterday, it's the cleanest Metro slash subway system in the in, that I've ever seen. Any 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 place any city I've ever been, whether it be here, Canada, anywhere, it's the best metro system, subway type system that I've ever seen. The cleanest, safest. It was unbelievable. And you get there in ten minutes. You, the, I wish I would have been able. You would get, get that there team. in ten minutes, and so it wasn't to me. In the fans that I talked to, it wasn't about how far the stadium was. It wasn't like it was thirty miles away. I mean, if you like Dodger Stadium, let's say. Dodger Stadium's downtown. I live twenty. You got to drive. I live twenty-three miles away, but in LA with traffic, it takes me an hour and a half to get there. Now that's a problem. If they didn't have a good team, that would be a problem for fans. But no, Olympic Stadium. No, it wasn't. It wasn't too far. It's just that it was an older stadium. In fact, this Metro used to drop us off right on the concourse where all the where all the food was, <laughs> and and you Perfect. could see the the field right from the, getting off the Metro. It was beautiful. It was better even when the Yankees would drop you off on 161st Street at the Bronx. It wasn't anything like that. This would take you right into the stadium, the Metro. It was beautiful. And right downstairs, you go to the clubhouse. And if you wanted to stay right there and get a hot dog before you went downstairs, you could do that. Or you could look overlook the field because it was on the second level. It was beautiful. It was it was incredible. It's just that the stadium had... had right. It was the leftover had, from the 76 exactly. Olympics and they never they finished it. It had not been upgraded. Exactly. That's the only problem. See, I, I told everybody we weren't going to go down this hole, but we did. Anyway, that's the beauty of this podcast is that um, I, I have a rundown of what we I think we're going to talk about, well, but we end up telling stories and going off on tangents, and that's what makes this but I, fun. But there is going to be expansion because we can get back to what I, I wanted to talk about today a little bit, too, is Robert Manfred talking about uh, baseball and expansion. I think I hope that we expand rather than moving a team because I don't want to see any team I, I lose think, their, their franchise. I think we're going to see expansion. And, you know, Las Vegas is in the mix. I know Portland has been in the mix for years. I would love to see my, my – Portland's got a Portland's got a big push now for baseball. And they've got a, an owner that has – there that has huge money. Uh, and that – that. All right, you know what? we got to get him on the podcast then. Get him. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm going to work on okay, that. Okay. All right. Anyway, um, Montreal okay. should be number yes. one. Yes, they should have a team. Toronto, okay. Montreal, and Canada, they should have two teams back there uh, on the east like that, and it would be it would be wonderful for baseball. They could be in the same division. It'd be a rivalry there. It would be it would be great. Okay, so uh, one last thing. We're on our next podcast, I do want to talk about some of the other things with the commissioner, but I came up with a list, okay. Kevin. I want to ask right. you thumbs up, thumbs down, are these guys gonna get moved? You yeah. ready? Let's do it. Manny Machado. 
Yeah, the pitch of Machado, fly ball, deep right, racing back, Judge, racing back, way back, Peyton, bye-bye. Line drive gets out. Definitely, and by the way, um, I know that there have been people that have been interviewed, and I won't say who. I know some really inside stuff for uh, some front office positions with the Baltimore Orioles, so I think that um, uh, a couple of people there that are in high spots, and I won't say names, I think you can figure it out. Uh, one may be in the dugout, the other one may be in the front office. There may be some changes coming at the end of this year. So, yes, I think Machado is going to be moved. Tyson Ross. First pitch is hit well out to center field, but playable. Franchi Cordero's got it all lined up. He makes the catch, and Tyson Ross is through seven complete innings. Only two D-backs have reached base, both by a walk. I think there's a chance he'd be moved, yes. I think he gets moved, too. I think he has the ability that somebody, uh, a playoff team, would want him. Yeah. Kelvin Herrera. The 3-2 swing and a miss. Got a changeup from Herrera, and he strikes out to end the inning. Yes, definitely. I think uh, there's a lot of teams that could use Herrera, whether it be their closer or whether it be their eighth inning guy for them. I think definitely he gets moved. Wait a minute, say that. What did you say? There's a lot of teams that could use a Herrera? Yeah. A, 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 <laughs> a, a Rich Herrera. That. See, a lot of teams could use a Rich Herrera. Or, or, or a Kelvin, whichever one it, they want, will come as a package exactly. deal. But, yeah, I definitely think. I think Machado and Herrera are two of the hottest names out there. Absolutely. Uh, Shane Green. Boy, I could say yes to all these guys because there's just so many teams that have a chance for the playoffs. Um, I, I'm I'm going to say no though on him. I'm going to say no. Okay. Go. Zach Britton. Yes, I think somebody will take definitely. a chance. Yes, definitely. I think Baltimore okay. will be imploded. Yes. All right, one more. I'll throw out at you, Mike Bustakis. Here's the pitch, and Moose swings, drives it to right, and deep. Back goes Piscotti, up against the wall, and it is gone! A home run for Mike Moustakis, and the Royals have broken Montas' attempt at a shutout. Oh, boy. That's a tough one, That's right? That's a tough one. It's not the money so much. He's going to be a free agent again. It's what Kansas City would ask for. Um, I th- Back in I return. I think, why not? Why wouldn't Kansas City... Uh, try to move him and not over oversell it and try to get you know the number one prospect from somebody because Mike could really help somebody in, in the playoffs and lengthen out a lineup for some of these teams. So I'm going to say yes. Why not? There you go. All right, I'm going to keep this list and we'll keep All checking right. as we get closer to the trade deadline. All right, that's going to do it for our podcast for today. Don't forget, you can find us, radio.com. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Stitcher, TuneIn, and all the places you get your podcasts, here's the deal. We've relaunched the podcast. Follow Kevin, Kevin Kennedy, MLB. Follow me, RBI Rich. We have a Facebook page, Kevin. It's um, facebook.com slash America's Best Baseball Podcast. Here's the deal. If you've been a loyal listener of ours over the years, whether Kevin and I were working at Fox, working on satellite radio, working in Florida, and you listen to the podcast that we had done before, this is our new iteration of the podcast. We need you to spread the word. So tell all your friends, we're back. New podcast. We're calling it America's Best Baseball Podcast because it is. Tell all your friends about it so we can spread the word and let everybody know we're back in business with the new podcast. Um, we'll be back with you a couple editions next week, and then we're going to get going. We're It's back, man. Our podcast is back. That's the skipper, Kevin Kennedy. I'm Rich Schreier. Thanks for Thank you so much for joining us. I'll spit that out, Kevin. New name of <laughs> the show, <laughs> America's Best Baseball Podcast. Thanks, everybody. 
Thanks for joining us for America's Best Baseball Podcast. Our podcast was produced by Braden Suppernant. Find us on Facebook at America's Best Baseball Podcast. You can find Kevin at Kevin Kennedy MLB on Twitter, and you can find Rich on Twitter at RBI Rich. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.